I want to talk to you this morning about uh, how to handle significance. And you may say, uh, that's no problem. I don't have any significance. And though in one sense that's true, in another sense it's really not. And we'll talk about that. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel 23. And we're going to be studying the Word of God from that passage. There's a lot of uh, noise being made these days about being somebody. And then based on being somebody, what we deserve because of who we are. You've heard people say, I am somebody. And we have to insist to convince ourselves and others. But I am somebody, and then I have my rights. I deserve better than this. Uh, So in one sense that's true, and in another sense it's not. Uh, And then you'll find other people who will say, I'm nothing, and I don't deserve a thing. And in a sense, that's true. In another sense, it's not. And these things can confound us. And I want to talk about how to handle significance. And I want to read a passage of Scripture, but before I do, since it's got a whole bunch of names in it and not too much else, I want to set the scene and I want to talk to you about it. We begin life spiritually dead, don't we? Anybody got any doubt about that? We begin life spiritually dead. We do In our spirits, we do not commune with God. And that is the purpose for, that God made us for. And yet it's not happening. That's because of rebellion, the rebellion of our parents and their parents and their parents all the way back to our first parents. And we live out what they have performed. And we take on the tendencies that they lived out. And there is a sense uh, in light of that that we have no significance whatsoever. We are pathetic lives born in this world uh, without God, without awareness, without a sense of who we are and what he intends for our lives. And we think we're free to live however we please. That's the way we grow up. And then we learn that living however we please just enslaves us. It enslaves us to our selfish ambitions, our selfish appetites, and we find that we not only ruin our life, we ruin the lives of others. And we feel guilty about it. And that guilt shames us into seeking forgiveness from God. Right so far? And when we do seek God for forgiveness, what happens? He not only forgives us, he gives us life. And in the giving of life through faith, he brings significance. 
through the purposes he has for our lives. Significance becomes yours when you accept Jesus as your Savior. All your sins are forgiven, and the purposes that he designed your life for now can be fulfilled. And so, all of this is for a purpose. And after establishing a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we need to appreciate that God has purposes for our lives. How many of you believe that God has a purpose for your life individually? Raise your hand. I want to see your hand. You, okay, so what is it? And when we appreciate the purpose that God designed us for, it gives us significance. And then once we find out that we have significance, then what do we do? We want to be the greatest. Remember the disciples struggling? They come to Jesus. He welcomes them. He assures them of the forgiveness of their sins. And then they want to become the greatest. They, they know that they have purpose in his kingdom. You have purpose in God's kingdom. Your life is no longer pathetic. And when you discover God's purpose for your life and you surrender to it, then you have to deal with significance. And how you handle significance becomes critically important as to whether your life individually is going to bring praise to God. And you were made to bring praise to God. You believe that? And his purpose for you in living out your life is to tell a story that's going to bring praise and honor to Almighty God. Have you discovered what your purpose is? Are you fulfilling your purpose? Now, you can try to fulfill it one of two different ways, like King Saul did or like King David did. Nobody would question that God had designed them for a significant task in life, and that's why I chose them. But let me say this. Every life has purpose. There is a task for everyone's life. There is a story that God is telling through your life that gives significance to you. And how you handle that significance will determine whether God will be glorified or not. If we don't learn to live without getting our way, we won't get along with others and we will never discover or fulfill the purposes God has for our life. So here's what happens. We, we come to know the Lord we realize our sins are forgiven. We want our life to be meaningful and to count for Him. And we want to fulfill His purpose for our lives the way that He designed us. And then we get caught up with the significance that I have, the power that I have, even if it's only with a few people, maybe just little children or whatever, 
I can play that to my advantage so that even through self-effort, if I do well, I can receive acclaim and feel good about myself. That's what Saul did. Saul did through self-effort what David did in the Spirit of God. And you can try hard to be really good and all that effort to fulfill the purpose you've discovered that God has for your life and you can do it in your strength and he gets and your power and he gets no praise for it and you will have great victories perhaps uh, Saul being the champion of God faced the enemies of God and slew them by the thousands remember Saul the people would sing Saul has slain is thousands. Saul's service, characterized by self-effort. You know what it led him to do? Make a monument to himself. David, his life was characterized by sacrifice. We're going to look at that today. And David became the super singer of Israel. You know how the country is caught up in music these days and they have their, everybody has their favorite singers, you know, and the American Idol thing. And remember little Scotty McCreary? He was a believer. And the temptation in the first part of the show, the, the temptation for him was to try to get on a group and it caused him to shame somebody and he repented before everybody for it. And he went on to win the contest and he brings the Lord into it every chance he gets. That's different than some of the others who are certainly wonderful singers. So it's not just the song and it's not just the singer, it's the heart. And this is the way it was with David. David was this super singer and everybody, the people loved him for it. They loved their leader's songs uh, and they joined their love for David and his music in praise of God. They joined it with him. And it's hard to separate that out so that when you have someone leading in music and in worship to say, I really like that. That really inspires me. That moves me. It's hard to separate that from your worship of God. And so sometimes people gain the heart affection of God's people when all of it really belongs to God. And there has to be some sorting out. Otherwise, things get confused. And we're going to talk about this confusion and how to handle significance this morning. So I want to look at Second Samuel 23 with you. And these are the last words of David. You see that? Are you with me? 
Thus says David, the son of Jesse, who, by the way, was a nobody. Thus says the man raised up on high. And the word for man is not the normal word for man. It's the word for a manly man. Thus says the manly man raised up on high. And he wants you to know it. And everybody knows it. But he's going to set the the stage for something unexpected here. He's going to talk about mighty men. And he's portraying himself as a man's man. You see that? Hagaber, the man, the manly man, raised up on high. The God, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, or the pleasant psalmist of Israel. And really, if we were to put it in our terms today, this would be the, ple- the one who is pleasing, the one that the people found pleasing, the pleasing psalmist of Israel. And so you say, yeah, that's our boy. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. And the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he who rules over men must be just. And that was Saul's problem. In his ruling over men, he wasn't just. He, through self-righteousness, which comes from self-effort, he wants to attack the Philistines and then slay them for the Lord, the enemies of God. And he did. So he sets these lofty things that have no meaning or purpose with reality. And what happens? He ends up ready to kill his own son, who is a valiant man of God. Nobody shall taste a thing until we slay all the Philistines today. Well, Jonathan didn't get the word, found some honey on the pursuit of the enemy. He ate it. His countenance was brightened. His strength was renewed. And he led to a mighty victory. And Saul said, My word put him to death. And the people refused because he wasn't just. The God of Israel, the rock of Israel, said, He who rules over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. And he's not talking about himself here. We know that because of verse 5. But he says, And he... That is, the Messiah shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises and the morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Verse 5 says, though, although my house is not so with God. He's making a distinction. 
And so there is a Messiah that is going to come uh, from him as one of his descendants, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's him he's speaking about. And to clarify that, he says, now, that's not the way it is with my house. And so he makes a distinction. And then he says, nevertheless, he has made me, made with me an everlasting covenant. And the everlasting covenant, the agreement, is that David's descendants are going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. And so it goes down to Jesus Christ, and guess what? We lose track of his descendants, but in Jesus is all the fulfillment all of the Davidic covenant. Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. It's specified what's going to happen, and it surely will happen. And it all happens in Jesus Christ. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? Of course he will. He will. But the sons of rebellion shall be all as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. The man that touches them must be armed with iron shaft of spear. So here you come in. Let's rid this place of all the thorns and the brambles and the briars. Let's rid it. Get them all up. So what do they do? Start hacking with their sword and they get this big pile. They can't even touch them to move them, so they take the spear, they thrust the spear in the mix of them, bring them up into a pile and burn them right there. They can't haul them away. can't do anything with them. They've got to be dealt with right then and there. And the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. And that's the way it is with the rebellious people, the sons of Belial, the wicked people. And then he launches into this thing about the mighty men. So he's talking in a context here about him being a mighty man that God has raised up to be the anointed, just like he did with Saul, did with David. And that's going to ultimately lead to the kingdom of God being established through super Messiah Jesus Christ. And then he says, but who am I? Verse 5, what is my house? Who am I that I should be exalted on high? The only one true to that is Jesus, his descendant. And he knew about this. He wrote in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemy is your footstool. So he knows all this is happening. God gave him these words. And he, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. That's either arrogance or it's true. And he says, I don't deserve it. And so then, even though he is a man's man, he knows what to do about it. Saul also was a man's man, but he didn't handle it properly. The Lord, in giving purpose for their lives, gave significance. The problem is one knew how to handle the significance, and the other didn't. 
And that's important for us to realize. And so then in his final word, David lists, the na- after giving this introduction, he gives this list of names. And he talks about the mighty things that they did. And I don't want to focus on all of them. I want to focus on the first and the last. Because in studying this, you could get it all, but I just want to focus, do a summary statement of them. There's two things. If you do it at the beginning, if you do it right, and at the end, if you do it wrong. And if you do it right, something happens. And if you do it wrong, something happens. So, he goes through these names and then he says, these special three out of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. This is verse 13. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. Supposed to be the other way around. David is a descendant from Bethlehem. That's his hometown. But the Philistines are there. He's fleeing for his life from Saul, who is unjust in his treatment of David. And... David's hiding out in this stronghold in this cave of Adullam. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He was thirsty. He was longing for his home, the comforts of it and the memories that came back to him of drinking from that well. So what did the three mighty men do? Verse 16, they break through the camp of the Philistines. They draw water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they took it and they brought it to David. Man. Devotion like that. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. And these things were done by the three mighty men. How did David handle significance when people wanted to make much of him? David inspired the people with his leadership, with his songs and leading worship. And the people admired him and they'd do anything for him. People served David the way they'd serve God. And they did not make the distinction. Once they discovered what pleased David, they risked their lives for him. That kind of worship belongs only to God. 
David sensed this subtle transfer of trust and worship and service to God, to him. And then he realized this could, because I allowed this to go on, this could have led them to their deaths. And it crushed him. And so, what do we see here? We see David properly handling early in life his own significance. When he's confronted with it, he says, Oh no, look what I've done. And so then he refuses to take something meant to be pleasing to him. He refuses to take that to himself. So he not only denies himself the very thing he longed for, he creates an object lesson for everybody of how bad this is, how wrong he was. He says, this meant your life. Now, he doesn't minimize their service. He praises them for it. They are appointed among the first three of all his mighty men. But he realizes what he let happen. And he repented of it. And he refused it. And then he also said, no way this is going to happen again. And so in pouring it out, everybody gets the picture. And David humbled himself. And that is how you handle significance. That is how a manly man handles significance. He says, I don't have to have my way. How many of you men in your areas of responsibility have to have your way? And then there's a bunch of other lessons through the chapter. I do too. And sometimes I'm mindless. And sometimes I don't get it right away. And then I'm confronted by it. Especially with little children. They come to you and they look up to you. And they admire you. And they'll do anything for you. Anything to please you. So then you find that out and you start saying, Hey, go get this for me. And they get a different picture. And they don't realize it at first, and you don't either. And then all of a sudden, you, in your leadership capacities, have assumed significance over them so that you can get what you want. And when you do that, things change. And so there's other lessons, but when we get to the end of the chapter, the last one mentioned among all the mighty men of valor is Uriah, the Hittite. So here it is. It's the spring of the year when kings go out for fighting and fame. Trumpets split the dawn. Women wave. Children cheer. The army passes by. And the king 
stands looking on. Why isn't he going out with him? Oh, you are too important now. And so he stays home, and when he does, he falls into sin with Bathsheba, who happens to be Uriah the Hittite's wife. You know the story. It ends up in him taking her to himself and putting Uriah in the front of the battle. Brave man that he is, he goes out and is killed, and he thinks he's free. And so you can see here, David is not handling well his significance. God had purposes for his life, his life, and and the significance of his life was undermined by that choice. And for that reason, the sword did not leave his house. So how do you handle significance? Like David did early in life, like David did later in life. And so he brackets this whole discussion of how to be a mighty man of valor with this first action and then this second action. David lost courage to go out in battle, chose to please himself, and it cost him the life of one of his mighty men and one of his most dedicated warriors. What about you? How do you handle your significance? As a believer, God designed your life, salvaged your life, and has a purpose for your life. And if you sense what it is and you seek to fulfill it in self-effort, following the worldly wisdom of those around you, it'll end up in you taking advantage of other people and you saying, in order for me to be fulfilled, people need to do things for me so I can have so I can feel good about myself and have a sense of significance. Or you can say, God has purpose and meaning for my life, and God's way means I sacrifice. I pour it out to the Lord. This is something that people do to me to serve me, even at the risk of their life or at the risk of their freedom. I don't have to have that. I refuse that. In fact, I want to let them know. Here's the object lesson. I won't I not only won't take it this time. I want them to know why I won't take it. Have you sensed how significant you are? to fulfill the purposes of God for your life. That's the story here. There's another king named Nebuchadnezzar, probably the single greatest 
worldly king, yes, greater than Alexander the Great. Remember in Daniel's prophecy, he was the head of gold. I'm talking about the supreme ruler. And he made much of himself, and the Lord brought him low. Made him eat the grass of the field like an ox. Then the Lord raised him back up, and he gave praise to the Lord, and he said, The Lord is the one that gives significance. And the purpose of giving significance, meaning to your life, involvement in his plan, whatever at whatever level it is, doesn't matter. You bring fulfillment to his purposes. You bring glory and honor to him. And the way to go about doing it is not lifting yourself up so that others please you. It's you sacrificing yourself for them, for their safety, for their freedom. Whether your authority extends no further than your own family. But in doing what David did at the end of his life, near the end of his life, and not going out to battle, not only meant the death of a mighty man of valor, it meant the death of family members. The sword would not depart from his house. And so David had a lot of time at the end of his life to think these things over, and he wrote these words down so that we could make the distinctions by reading the Word of God. Do others have to please you so you can feel good about yourself? Are you willing to deny yourself so others can be free or safe? Do you divert praise to God or claim it for your own? God wants manly men. But this is the kind of manly men that God wants. Not those who raise their head, bow their back, stiffen their neck, and go their own way, try to accomplish in their own strength the things that God wants them to do. And they know it's God. And they know it's his purpose. Saul knew God wanted him to be king. Saul knew God wanted him to win the battles. But how did he go about it? And David was no different. There are times when he lapsed in the flesh to do in his own strength the things of God. But, and there were times when Saul did it good, did it in the spirit and power of God. But, did they characterize Saul's life? No, self-effort. Um, Self-praise characterized his life. So David and Saul did the same things, but what was characteristic of Saul's life was not characteristic of David. And when David saw it, he repented. It crushed him. He realized. And so that's the only difference. And you're going to see in your own life that there are times when you behave like Saul. Do it in your own strength. And there'll be times when you don't, when you sacrifice like David. But 
When it all gets done and you think back on your life and you offer your last words, what are they going to be like? A monument to yourself? Or are you just going to lay it out there and say, I didn't realize how foolish I'd been, but when I did, in the spirit and strength of God, I served him. And so what's going to characterize your life at the end? And the choices you make along the way determine the overall characteristic of your life. Not a momentary failure or a momentary success, but there's going to be this broad sweeping story of your life and the purposes that God wanted to accomplish with your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this lesson from your word, by your spirit, and how to handle significance. You're the one that has forgiven our sins and given us life meaning and purpose and things to be accomplished with our lives. We consider this of monumental significance. And may our lives be a monument to you as we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others and to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for coming this morning. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you to come forward as we're dismissed and talk with me and pray with me. If you have a hunger burning in your heart to have your sins forgiven, to be rid of the shame and the guilt, Please come forward and talk to me now.